Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Motor Up Sports. I'm your host, Kenny Eaton. And today I want to just recap the week somewhat and go over Michigan State basketball, Michigan basketball, Lions, and Pistons. So I'm just going to start off with the aircraft carrier game last night. This is my first time actually opening up a Michigan State basketball this year. I'm not really like upset about the game. I'm just a little disappointed. I think the first thing that we need to focus on right now is holding big leads. You're up double digits in the second half against a team that will probably get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four this year. And I think that you're looking at a team that you will probably play a team at that caliber in the second round in March, or you're going to play them in the Sweet 16. This, we're getting ready for March. And we're getting ready early in the season. Is Gonzaga as good as they typically are? I don't know. That's the question that a lot of us need to be need. A lot of us want answered by conference play. But watching that game last night, there's no reason why Michigan State shouldn't be a top twenty team. They played their asses off. I think all of your issues off of this team are gone. Like Bingham, Marble, Rocket. All the guys who I think were causing issues, or I don't, I don't even know they were really causing issues, but I think the guys that you can see on TV that probably weren't the best apples to have on the team, they're out now. And I think last night you saw it, the big man play for the first time in two years looked electric. First time since Tillman. I mean, Sissoko was playing harder than I've seen a big play at Michigan State in years. Sissoko really wanted that win. If Sissoko plays with that motor all year, there's going to be a lot of games that Michigan State is going to win that they shouldn't win just off of him playing with his high motor. But the story of the night was the refs and free throws. I'm not going to sit here and blame the refs. They were awful. Maddie should not have fouled out on that play. And what pisses me off about that play they fouled out on is, first off, it was a bullshit call. Second off, the whole nation's watching this game. This is the first big college basketball game of the year. And you're refing this game. And you're going to take the best player out of the game on a soft-ass foul like that. And he wasn't the best player on the floor, but that in that game, he was playing like the best player in that game. You can't let a guy foul out on a bullshit call like that. I, I'm sorry, but that's something, if that's in the NBA, that call doesn't get made. They just let that go. Most refs let that go at the end of the game. You don't call that with a minute 30 left in a one-possession game. Horrible call. But... You had 28 free throws in that game. You lost the game by one because you missed 10 of them. Shooting 18 for 28 at the line is just pathetic. No, I mean, there's no other way to sit there and sugarcoat it. Because you hit just one more of those free throws, you're playing in overtime. You hit two of those, you win that game. Just shoot 20 for 28 at the line, you, come on. Like, these are games that you, you do the little things, you win. And Gonzaga did more of those little things in that game, which is why they won. Shout out to Mark Few. I'm going to give him credit. He really adjusted in that game. He adjusted really well in the second half. Iso just never adjusted back. And I'm not saying Iso got outcoached in that game. They both coached great games. But Mark Few lit a fire on their team's ass in the second half. And you know what? First big game of the season, and you lose to a team that you're underdogs from 12 points, you lose by one. 
I think all your issues are off this team now, and you have a bunch of guys who are going to play really hard. This team is an Izzo team. This team feels like an Izzo team to me. The last two years felt like, let's just get through the season and hope to God that we get to March and maybe do something. And I'm not saying this team's going to do anything this year. But, you know, the big man play is big man Izzo play. Guard play this year is Izzo guard play. I don't know. I, this team just screams to me like a team that can shock a lot of people and play for the Big Ten. And I get it, it's just one game. But from what I saw, if they play that hard all year, they come into Kentucky, they play that hard. They go and play Nova, who's horrible this year, and they play hard. I mean, they're going to win a lot of games, I, in my opinion, or at least be in games that they have no business in being in just off of if they're going to play hard and do the little things correctly. I like the eight-and-a-half-man rotation. I'm glad Izzo's doing that. I wanted that preseason. And the one guy I'm really keeping my eye on really heavily, because I, I this was my guy before the season I was going to keep my eye on, was Jay Nakins. That dude's a menace on defense. He had a few – I mean, he was clamping up all night. If he gets more, more of an offensive game going for him, which he'll get – by his junior, senior year. I mean, you're looking at one of the best de- defensive guards in the nation, junior, senior year. I think he's going to somewhat work, work his way into the six-man role, potentially even work his way into the rotation as a starter by the end of the season. But right now, I mean, the depth at big man is a joke, and they should have gone through the portal. They at least got something there. I'm not saying you had to go out there and get the best center. But if you were able to go out there and get, I don't know, big, there were like, what, 800 transfers on the portal this year, whatever the number was, they were a ton. For him not to grab a backup big and the Sabre and go Jackson Kohler, it's kind of a head scratcher for me. And I don't think Carson Cooper's on his good side right now. I don't know if you guys all saw that, uh, Press conference, I mean, he was pissed at Carson. And, I mean, it's like you need the big man play out the bench. or You you can't roll Sissoko out there for 35 minutes. Because he's a foul machine. He's always been a foul machine. Because he's just so big and so aggressive. Which is fine. But you need a backup behind a guy who's going to get in foul trouble. And Kohler's not going to give the minutes. You saw that last night. Hauser can't play center. He's not going to give you those minutes. I mean, he was getting cooked to Timmy. Cooked. And, and Timmy's not really as much of a center. I think Timmy's more of a 4-5. Like, he's not a pure center. And he was just cooking Hauser. So that that's just where I'm at. Hauser's just not where he needs to be again this year. There's no depth of the bigs, and that's where games are going to be lost is if Sissoko gets in the foul trouble, and then you're sitting there and you're scrambling for something. The portal's where they should have gone. I was very impressed with Tyson Walker last night. I also think, I mean, Hogarth didn't even play a great game, but at the end, I mean, he... What, what, what drives me crazy about that last play is, first off, you should have called the timeout the second you crossed half court. You wasted eight seconds just standing there. So even if the play failed, and this is why I'm upset with Izzo. If you sat there, 
ran up the court, called timeout with, let's say, there was 31 seconds left when Michigan State got the ball back. Let's say you get up the court in 26 seconds. I'm fine going for the win and holding the ball because you were not winning that game in overtime with Hauser at center or Jackson Colbert at center. So fine, play for the win. Because if you drag that game out, you probably lose by six or seven. But if they get across the court 27 seconds, you call a play out, it doesn't work, you at least have a fallback. But you let it tick down to 15 seconds, then you held the ball up until the eight-second mark, which is what you're supposed to do if you're holding for the last shots to call the play at eight seconds-ish. They did that. He hesitated. Hogarth hesitated. The second he hesitated, I knew the game was over. I called it. In my friend's apartment, I said, that game is over. That's why they. I said they needed to call the timeout eight seconds prior because there's a fallback, at least. And there was no fallback. And you have the desperation heave that, you know, will always be a miss unless it's March Madness. Izzo is not the reason they lost. None of those guys that were on the floor at the end of the game are the reason why they lost. They lost that game because they just didn't do all the little things correct at the end of the game. They're doing every little thing correct in the first half and the start of the second half. And that's the difference between a great team and a good team. Gonzaga will probably be a great team at the end of the season. Michigan State, probably a good team. I mean, they're not great. There's nobody on this roster I look at, and I'm like, that's an NBA stud, or that's a guy who's going to scare me in March right now. Hogarth might be a scary guy in March. Walker might be a scary guy in March. But until they figure out the big man situation, they're going to be in a lot of trouble this year if Sissoko gets in foul trouble because you saw that. I want to move into Michigan, and that was an interesting game. It was the Amani show down at LCA. And look, I'm, I'm not getting worried about Michigan. They'll be perfectly fine. What am I? Those games are always weird, especially when like one of those teams are actually decent. Like when Oakland's a chippy team, like that's a hard beat. Typically, like Eastern's kind of like that Oakland team this year with like Kay Felder and them. That's like a team that's going to get in as a 12 seed in March, and they're not going to be an easy beat. Like I'm telling you right now, that's a hard beat. That's the last 12 seed I want to play. Because you got a former number one recruit in the nation. And I actually like Tyson Acoff's game too in high school. So we'll see what he does down at Eastern this year. The two of them, I mean, those are two top five guys in the state in their classes. In the state of Michigan, say what you want about their basketball. I mean, it's okay. There's some talent. At least when I was in high school. I mean, the talent's starting to leave now, but... Acuff, I mean, Acuff was here when I was in high school, and um, Amani was there at least my – well, he started my senior year of high school. But you you had two top guys in the state on the same roster. I mean, they're not a horrible team. Eastern will probably get in the March and be a 12 seed. I bet they're the favorites to probably win the MAC right now too. On the flip side, if you're Michigan, I don't care. I mean, I'm, I may making a little bit of an excuse for him as it's a tough game. 
but from a national perspective for people who aren't following college basketball so closely. That looks really bad on paper. That game probably won't look bad at the end of the season. But I think it's really corny if you're Hunter Dickinson and you're flexing up two against Eastern Michigan. You're playing Eastern. Look, 31 points or whatever. He had a 30 ball last night, and I expect that out of him all year. I expect him to dominate Big Ten ball. Dominate it. And that's like a game, if he just drop in 30, there's clearly, I mean, a huge improvement in his game. Granted, should he be on the floor for 38 minutes in a nothing game? You're probably going to put up 30 points if you're on the floor that long in a nothing game. High scoring is shit, too. But they, there's definitely he's definitely better than he was last year. Definitely a lot, lot better than he was freshman year. Hunter's going to be the most hated player of the Big Ten. I'm telling you right now. We already hate him in East Lansing. The whole Big Ten's going to hate him this year. But now you got to go to Pitt in Brooklyn on, on Wednesday night. And, yeah, there's a whole lot of issues. Pitt was actually supposed to be good because they got Dior. And then Dior got in trouble. And Dior was fucking sick. So Pitt probably is going to be horrible this year. If you're Michigan, you have to go out there and win. You have a huge fan base down in New York City. A lot of alumni stay in there. You're going to fill up Barclays with people, with Michigan fans. And Pitt will probably end up driving up there. You can't lose that game. And another story, like, Eastern, that's a team that could play in March. Pitt, that's not a team playing in March. You have to go in there, you need to pull this shit out. And then, you know, you have a few games in between, and you get to the end of the month, and then you're getting to the bulk of your schedule with Virginia and UNC coming up. Michigan needs to start figuring this shit out now. Because you don't want to go into Virginia and get embarrassed in the Big Ten ACC Challenge on national television. I think a lot of it's coaching, too. I don't think Jawan's a good coach because there's so much talent all over the floor. The talent gap between Eastern and Michigan is massive. I mean, you're talking about five stars versus outside of Imani. I mean, you're talking about guys who were two-star, three-stars, number six, seven guys in the state that they were playing in. I mean, Kobe Bufkin, that's a guy who's a fuck ton better than Tyson Acuff was. I mean, you look at the talent gap, there is zero excuse for Michigan I, and I get it. It's a, it's, it's a weird game. It's always a weird game. But the talent gap between Michigan and Pitt's just like that, too. You have to go in and just win that game. And win it convincingly this week. I want to move into Pistons now. <laughs> the blowouts are getting a little frustrating. Last night was, I mean, they lost by nine. They were going to crush the whole game. Without Kate, fine. I mean, that one, just let it go. You lost that game without Kate. What's driving me insane is, I mean, tonight would really piss me off if they get blown out again to the Celtics. Is I mean, last night was better. Burks coming off the bench helped substantially. There was finally somebody that came off the bench and can actually get a bucket. But what's driving me crazy is, just seems like as a group, they're just not clicking any better than they were in the beginning of the season. The chemistry is there, but, I mean, there's no improvement. Ivy did play the best game of his career against Boston that first half, I mean, with a double-double. He was phenomenal. 
I mean, he's probably the second or third best rookie right now. And he'll definitely be up for rookie of the year. Paul's an animal. Paul probably will win it. But Ivy will definitely be up there at rookie of the year race. What I'm seeing right now is you have three guys on this roster that are locks to be here next year. The rest of the roster, actually four. And your four locks are Duran, maybe Bagley. I assume Bagley's here next year. We'll call him a lock, Ivy, and um, Kate. Those are your four locks. Weber's a madman. There's a lot of guys that are not, not going to be here next year. This roster is going to be a completely different look. I'm really curious what he does. But right now, you got to squeeze some wins out of your ass. Like, end of the story. Or at least squeeze some close games out of your ass. Because right now, I mean, playing these games and getting crushed is not a good look for the fan base. It's not a good look to the team because now you got the fan base saying, well, while well, this team is horrible. But, and like for me, I knew this was what was going to happen coming in. Well, a lot of this fan base, I mean, they set their expectations super high. Where I'm getting a little nervous is, is like you're not seeing any improvements. It's like everybody's progression is stalled under Casey. And I'm starting to get closer and closer to the fire Casey train just because like the progression, man. Killian. Okay, last two games, you see the progression in two games. Look, it's two games, guys. Killian is still Killian Hayes. You saw it in the second half last time. Killian is no better than he was three games ago. If he can pan out and actually level out and be a reasonable bench player this year, great. That's a successful season for Killian. If he can make himself a rotation player, I'm just still upset. He was your number seven pick, and that's when you fucked up with them. At the end of the day, if you're going to win games, Killian needs to be at least a little bit of a presence off the bench with Burks. Because I'm sick of Corey. And I think I'm curious what they do because Cade wasn't playing last night. So obviously, we saw Corey slide into the lineup. Killian at six or seven. where They play him at seven man last night. What I'm curious about what they do now is Cade's probably back tonight. I don't even think he's hurt. We've seen teams do this in the past. A starter goes out there, they drop four points, and they shoot 0 for 20, pretty much like what he did. And then they just call it an injury so they don't look bad. That's I bet he plays tonight. I'm pretty sure he does. Plus, I don't think they want to play him in back-to-backs, and they kind of want to tank games, too, at the same time. So resting Kate Cunningham and calling like a one-game injury after a shit game is a, like a horrible idea, in my opinion. Especially for the prize on the table. So I'm curious tonight, do they go Killian or Joseph? Who gets cut from the rotation? Or is Tommy getting cut from the rotation? Somebody's getting cut out of that rotation tonight. I'd put money on Corey, even though he started, just because Killian's the younger player. You're looking at the future. Burks is clearly a better player than Joseph. Even though Burks didn't shoot well last night, at least there was somebody that you know could get a bucket on the floor. And you, if he's going to shoot that many shots, I'm cool with that. I'd rather see him stroke the ball 12 times than see Livers or Hami start shooting 12 shots in a game. Actually, scratch that. I'm not a – I actually like Livers. But I'd rather see him take that many shots than Corey Killian or anybody else. Am I, like, a little out of – like, am I out of my mind for – this is a super hot take – for thinking – Jalen Durant 
could be the best player out of them all in this rebuild. And this is just my super hot take on him. I, I still think Cade or Ivy will be the best. He's 18 years old. Youngest player in the NBA. And some of these boards he's getting are boards that he's, he's literally getting boards over guys he has no business getting boards under at 18 years old. Seems like every game he's getting five, six, seven, eight boards. And, I mean, the only thing he could do is just yam on you like that. But if he could develop a solid midi, I'm not saying the guy needs, like, to hit everything from mid-range. But I'm saying you have to re- at least respect it. Just respect his midi. Maybe at some point in his career work on a three ball. But the thing about him is he has no touch around the rim, no midi, no three, and he's still scoring the ball. Because he's so strong, so athletic. You have a whole offseason this offseason. He's not going to be the youngest player in the NBA next year, but he'll still be one of the youngest players in the league because he was really supposed to go out in the draft this year. He's going to be an animal next year. See, the difference between the rawness that I see in him versus Killian and Seku is the fact that he's actually good and raw. Like, there's something that I feel like you can build on next year that can make him a true NBA, like, great starter. Or good starter. You see it in him. You just see that he's good. In that he's raw. That's just why I have this feeling. Because he's 18 years old. Because he has no skill on offense right now outside of dunking a basketball. He's so good on the glass. And he's so athletic. It just screams to me if they develop him correctly, he could be a top five big in basketball. I mean, he could be as up there with Jokic and Embiid at some point, if he can continue to progress the way he's been. That's the only guy. Him, I think Ivy's starting to stall out too with his progression as well. And a lot of people aren't saying that because a lot of people are being really quiet about that. But at the end of the day, you need him to keep developing into an NBA big. I, and people, I'm not concerned about his touch around the rim, his mid-range jumper, any of that shit. I'm not. Like, that's something that we knew coming in was not a strength of his. I'm really excited for Dirk. Like, I am super excited for him. I just don't want his progression to stall out. I don't want to, like, at the same time, it's just about Casey right now. It's like, come on, man. It's like, I haven't seen any progression. Killian's no better than he was rookie season. Cade's no better than he was last year. Ivy's stalling out. And Duran, I mean, he was hurt for a bit. He's been great so far. But it's really making me wonder, what the fuck is this coaching staff doing? And I'm not trying to jump to conclusions right now. Because that's the last thing I want to do. We're barely an eighth of a way through the season. But from what I'm seeing with my eyes right now is this isn't getting any better. That's what's concerning. That this isn't getting better. And I've said the whole year. I don't care about the wins. I don't care about the losses. I care about how you lose. And I care about how you win. And I care about how you progress this season. Nobody's progressing. And we're eighth of the way through the season right now. And I said in the beginning. I wanted to take this team by 10 game benchmarks. Game 1 through 10. How much better were they? They're not, they were not better than they were in game one than 10. 
Now I want to take the benchmark of 10 to 20. And I actually expect a lot of improvement because he didn't get better from zero from game zero to game 10. You got to take this team by 10 game benchmarks. And from what I'm seeing right now is there's nothing. And that's concerning to me. I'm not saying this team sucks. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this team. I'm just saying lots of things are going to get blown up this offseason if this continues. Bagley getting coming back, that's going to help you substantially. Burke's back, I mean, you already see it. It's helping. Maybe they're going to start rattling off some wins that they that they weren't winning before because of bench presence. We will see. But I hope Bagley's back tonight. I feel like it's a home game. You kind of got to bring him back against the Celtics with the New Jerseys tonight. Just win this game tonight. And I don't think they will. Lose this game competitively. That should be the goal tonight. Look like you belong out there for thir- for 48 minutes. You do that, great. I go to sleep happy tomorrow morning. Or I go to sleep happy tonight. Because we all know the prize on the table. Losing games, it doesn't matter how you lose. A loss is a loss in the NBA. It's not like the NCAA where you get ranked for losing. So, just competitively lose tonight. Remember the prize on the table. And hopefully, Kate's back from his injury from the night before. You know, and hopefully you can at least comp- stay in this game through four quarters. I want to move into my last segment of the day. Detroit Lions match up against the Chicago Bears tomorrow on Fox at 1 o'clock. The Lions walk in as two-and-a-half-point underdogs at Soldier Field. Al, they're going to lose. They got lucky against Green Bay. They're lucky that Aaron Rodgers is thrown to a bunch of guys who were bagging groceries at Kroger 24 hours before the game. And the Bears are kind of the same way. But Justin Fields last week actually looked better with the receivers. And the Lions have not done well against a scrambling quarterback all year. Or a guy who can shit even get out of the pocket. They were horrible against Hurts. They were brutal against Zappi. They were awful against Dak. And Geno Smith. And Tua. Every quarterback that has legs, they can't contain. Loss. Loss, 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 loss. And yeah, the defense is getting better. Hutch is getting better. I'm shutting up about the bus bullshit now. I mean, it was bad for the first couple games. He looks substantially better. Kirby Joseph's flying. Rodrigo's been flying on the defense. I mean, you got three guys there that are NFL players. Um, I mean, what's his face? Paschal is look good. The stats aren't there. Watch him. He's always in the backfield. I keep, I'm going to keep saying that until the stats come around. They have pieces, but these guys are always hurt. Is there really, is it really Aaron Glenn is the question for me? Because they fired Audrey Pleasant last week and the secondary was substantially better than it was. I'm going to just leave it at this. If they win this week and they show that they can stop a quarterback that can run for the first time all year, I will be pissed. You need to lose as many games as humanly possible right now. I'm cool. I mean, these rookies ball their ass off and win great. Win the fucking game if the rookies ball out. But if you're playing a bad game, find a way to fucking lose. Campbell knows how to take a team out of the game better than any coach in the league. Take them out of it if it's a close game. I need Stroud. I need Young. 
The prize on the table, same thing with the Pistons, the prize on the table is too big. There are teams that are worse than you in the NFL right now, or, I mean, just as bad as you, that could land that pick. And you're not going to land a quarterback like that again next year. Because there's no way they're drafting one or two. They can't draft one or two this year that they can do it next year. But it's sure looking like that Rams pick is getting higher and higher up by the game. Maybe that ends up in the top 10. Maybe you get two top 10 picks this year. You fill your linebacking role. You fill up your quarterback position. But making any other quarterback than Stroud, Young, Caleb Williams, or Quinn Ewers your franchise quarterback right now makes zero sense to me. If you're drafting one through three, great. Because at least if you're drafting three, you're getting um you're getting Will Anderson. That's all I'm saying. One through three, if you're drafting there, you're getting a need. But I really want my franchise quarterback. Because after seeing Goff last week, it's made me just completely get off that train too. It's getting hard to defend him. And I've defended his him all year. Keep him in this year. I mean, I'm really at a point where it's like, do you just play Sutfeld the rest of the year and just tank your season away? Like, in all honesty, because the Panthers are worse than you. I can make an argument that Atlanta's worse than you, but they have a better record right now. The Texans are just as bad as you. Denver sucks as well. I don't know. I think the Panthers are tanking every game. They've got Sam Darnold and they have Baker Mayfield and throwing out PJ Walker right now. So they're truly losing games on purpose. But I don't think this is a team that's as bad as that. And that's where you just need to be in that spot. If you're in that top three spot, great. But right now you can't lose a game. You can't beat the Bears because that game counts for two. Because the Bears are right there with you. It's just as bad. My pick, I'm going to pick a high-scoring game this week. I'm going to say 35-30 Chicago. 35-30 Chicago. I'll be back Monday recapping the Lions, Michigan, Michigan State. I didn't really want to go in-depth with them today. I mean, both teams are playing nothing games, so what's the point? And then I want to move into... Uh, Pistons Monday, and then Wednesday next week. We're right back Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's a quieter week. Uh, I mean, this week was crazy with just professors just piling work right before break to just squeeze everything in. So see you guys on Monday.